let's take Lazarus, for example. I mean, come on. First century, first century Israel could not have been a pretty place. I mean, he's in the bliss of the afterlife. And now he's got to come back to like, you know, dirt and unleavened bread. And I don't think he would have been happy. I'm pretty oh. sure he wasn't thrilled about this whole like being resurrected thing. And and if and if like just for example, he had this like irrational anxiety and fear around death. Now he's got to go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 52 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft-brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever beverage you might prefer. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific at pubtheology.com, and you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and you can check us out on the New Thought channel on your Roku or other streaming device. Tonight's episode, as usual, is brought to you by our official sponsors. I noticed you conspicuously left out the other time zones. You hit East Coast, you hit... This is the mm. first time you've given a West Coast like time slot. I don't know what that's about. West Coast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what, what happened to Central and Mountain? They don't get to watch either? They can, they can fend for themselves. They can fend for themselves. All right. We just alienated about... <laughs> Good half the country. Thanks. All right, our official sponsors, uh, Craft Beer Cellar. Their focus is amazing beer education, hospitality. Visit Craft Beer Cellar. That's C E L L A R dot com for a location near you, and you can win free beer this month only. We're wrapping up our Craft Beer Cellar campaign at the end of this month, so you got one more month to win um, a free Craft Beer Cellar gift card. Um, you can do that by commenting anytime on Twitter, Facebook. Please use the hashtag PT Live, not just while we are live broadcasting, but anytime during the week that you listen, and you will be entered for a random, totally subjective drawing. Um, if you make us laugh, or you are just remarkably controversial or something, you know, it, it skyrockets you to the top of the list. Um, or <laughs> the other way you can join our conversation is call us and leave a message on our casual priest. Hotline Casual Priest is that Swedish retailer with the totally swanky new clergy wear. So if you are a clergy person or know someone who is and you would like to get them some nice duds, call and leave us a message and you'll be entered to win. The number is 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830 for those without letters on your phone. And if we've announced you are a craft beer seller and you've not yet received your gift card, call and leave us a message on our Casual Priest hotline with your address so I can get these out. I am, I am so far behind. It's not funny. I, I sincerely apologize. Hey, you got you to you gotta claim it. Gotta claim it. But see, here's the cool thing. That'll count as an entry for Casual Priest. So if you're a craft beer seller winner and you leave a message on the Casual Priest hotline, you're entered to win. So you can be a double winner. Boom. Kaboom. Kaboom. And our wine sponsor is Wink Wine Club. That's Wink with a C. 
They, uh, they feature superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. And if you get started at trywink.com slash ptlive, you'll get $20 off your first order. And if you order at least four bottles, you get free shipping. So I don't know about you, but I went through a lot of wine during Holy Week. So I don't know what that means, but time to stock up, I guess. Go through wine every week. Every week is Holy Week. So... <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, tonight we discuss some of the pagan roots of Easter. How to understand the resurrection. Is it a literal resurrection, mythical, cosmic? Is it a literary resurrection? Whatever that might be. Or something else. And we'll also hit on what one's educational attainment, uh, what effect one's educational attainment might have on your religious experience, on your faith commitments. And to help us sort through all of that, we are joined by Reverend Emma Donahue, pub theologian and pastor of a United Methodist Church in the Pacific Northwest. And it turns out she's a veteran of facilitating pub theology conversations in Seattle and in Portland. And she enjoys art, beer, as well as her dog, Molly. So welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Like, uh, this is going to be a great... uh, kind of prerequisite for our pub theology conversation here in Portland on resurrection tomorrow. So I am grateful for the invitation. <laughs> How long have you been running the, uh, your pub theology group? Um, I started uh, the one I was doing in Seattle, which is still uh, ongoing in 2012. And then I've been here doing the one in Portland since last July. So just about five years of weekly conversation. Mm, so nice. I feel like it's been a really great asset to my life and also uh, to my ministry because I think that conversations are are really places of transformation and uh, so I'm really I'm excited for another one <laughs> awesome and, and Tina's a big fan she was a uh, very happy <laughs> you were her, you were her referral so there oh wonderful excellent love to hear that love to hear that and what are you drinking tonight Emma All right. so I live in the northeast part of Portland and just a little over a year ago uh, a new brewery opened in Portland and it is called great notion. And just this past February, it's within walking distance. So I walked over there today uh, and I picked up uh, the very last, this is a crowler. It's like a giant can (laughs) uh, of juice junior and juice junior is a very kind of Northwest IPA. And it was actually ranked Oregon's 2017 beer of the year. Uh, and they had mm. one of these left. And uh, wow. so I feel very, very like this was a serendipitous godlike moment <laughs> that we get to have Oregon's 2017 beer with us. So this is uh, Juice Jr. from Great Notion Brewing in Northeast Portland. How can it be? Wow. How can it be the 2017 beer of the year? We're only in April. <laughs> it might be the 2016 beer of the year, but it got picked in 2017. Okay, you're exactly right. Yes, say, I'm like that's it really- one of my it's one of my favorite beers and favorite breweries in all of Portland, and there is a lot here in Portland, so that's that's a big claim. <laughs> I'm gonna say if it, if it was the 2017 beer, that's awfully confident. Like, you know, it's the uh, best beer of the year. This is this is how we roll in Portland. <laughs> gotcha. Very well, that sounds that sounds like a fantastic beverage. You're making my mouth uh, water here. <laughs> and uh, my name is Brian Burkup. I am the pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, and author of the book Pub Theology, Beer Conversation, and God. And tonight I am also drinking an IPA, a Wild Range IPA. So got some hops going over that? here as well. Where's that from? 
Looks like Rochester, New York. And with us, as always, uh, Reverend Ogan Holder. Welcome, Ogan. Thank you, thank you. And I am over here in the picturesque New England. Um, and it is, um, I'm the Minister of Unity on the River um, in Amesbury, Massachusetts, author of Rants to Revelations. And you can find me blogging every week on our church's website and also hit up YouTube for our services. And I am drinking um, from the Founders Brewing Company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Is how how close? Woo! Absolutely, baby. <laughs> there you go. It's called curmudgeon. This is <laughs> our, they are what you eat or drink, but I don't want to. Some days I am curmudgeoning. Hopefully, I'll be in a better today. <laughs> nice. And now old, is that like a is that like a porter? And old. Don't jump ahead, my friend. Don't jump ahead. <laughs> I'm getting there. An old ale brewed with molasses and aged in oak barrels. Oh. Yes, a rich malty delight that is deceptively smooth and drinkable. Let me see if they're right about that. There we go. <laughs> yes, they are right about that. <laughs> got that nice. That's it's got that nice. You know how when you swallow a spoonful of molasses? Did y'all ever have to do that growing up? No, nobody. Um, no. <laughs> Seriously. Sorry. So before before they started stuffing like you know uh, uh, vitamins and pills, we we you, you got your vitamins from some really obscure places. One of them was molasses because it's just oh. for some reason people think it's rich in nutrients and stuff. I don't know, but when you swallowed the molasses, it was like this like really deeply sweet earthy earthy taste that lingered in the back of your throat like for the rest of the day that's that's kind of what this reminds me of uh um so all right first time i've had it i like it while you guys chat i will log that in untapped oh nice. <laughs> look at this guy look at the waiting for them to be a sponsor well done, well done. so <laughs> ogan is not the fun. not the i not the ipa or or hop drinker on the show ah, so no well, you do know I come from the land uh, that produces 70% of the world's hops. So the Yakima Valley, we can give them some great I know, and y'all put it in crops. everything. I've been out there. You put it in everything. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> All right. So uh, how, was, uh, how was your Easter, friends? Uh, happy belated Easter. That's right. We made it through Easter and Holy Week. Hallelujah! You know, yeah. <laughs> I think the same thing to Brian in in the little pre-show before you came on. That by default it should be written every minister's contract to get the week after Easter off. <laughs> Preach! <laughs> it's 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 for some reason, and and we may work just as hard around Christmas time, but for some reason I don't know that we do. But for some reason Easter week, man, it it's 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 a thing. There are a lot more services uh, going on, I would say. Yeah, I had a, we had a great Easter uh, out in East Portland, and we um, we actually did a Monday Thursday service with our UCC church out there, so that was a wonderful uh, mm -hmm. experience. We try to do things together when we can, and um, I just feel like it was a really uplifting uh, time. And, of course, out here in the Pacific Northwest, when it is sunny a little bit on Easter, uh, we feel like resurrection is very real <laughs> to us. So, so we were grateful for a little sun uh, this past this past weekend because it sure enlivens our spirits after uh, mm. the rain we've been having. <laughs> Word, absolutely. 
So someone has said that all the fun things about Easter are pagan. Things like bunnies and eggs, hot cross buns, even sunrise, even sunrise services. You know, I think we should institute a stone rolling competition, stone rolling festivities, <laughs> and 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 add 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 our Christian flair fun to the whole thing. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that's probably also another tradition. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, they have cheese roll-in traditions, so we yeah. should, like, you know, we should we should co-op that. Just as just as Christianity over the years has co-opted all the pagan things, you know, all the pagan festivals and call them our own holidays. Like, let's co-op the cheese rolling thing, mm. and paint the cheese rolls to look like big stones and rocks, and 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 we go rolling. Yeah, Trade, trademarking yeah. that. Trademark. <laughs> yeah, you go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I was like, we. I just, I know that. Although I was in church, uh, a number of my friends were doing beer, uh, beer uh, hunts. So Ooh. instead of hiding eggs, they hide beer. Ooh, uh, like so that. that is kind of a kind of, I guess, maybe a pagan <laughs> like tradition out here in the Northwest. So oh, I like I know it. Many people who weren't in church, but they were out hunting for beer. So is there uh, anyone? I think that's a that's a decent tradition. Is there anyone <laughs> in the Northwest who's not a pagan? <laughs> I think there's a few of us. Oh, <laughs> We're my weird. goodness. No. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. So seriously, though, um, you know, when you when you think about Easter, I was doing uh, a search on Google for some Easter imagery for church stuff I was posting on social media. And you just type in Easter and images, and it's virtually all rabbits and eggs and colors, like almost nothing to do with the cross or the empty tomb or Christianity. Uh, so there is just sort of this, you know, I guess more secular today, uh, appropriation, but a lot of those secular components and even some of the religious ones have roots, uh, from before Christianity and pagan, um, religions and worship and rituals. And what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? Does that bother you? Do you think that, uh, that's just kind of what happens? Well, uh, Christians kind of co-opted a pagan tradition, so I think we can't be too upset <laughs> that some of those pagan traditions um, have lingered. But um, I think traditions are kind of beautiful, and I think traditions come from so many different places that uh, I think as long as we kind of are willing to dig deeper into those uh, rituals and traditions, that things can um, find kind of unique meaning. Um, there's nothing worse than a tradition, just being a tradition in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, yeah. but on Easter Sunday in my family, uh, my dad used to always wake us up and say, you know, happy Easter. Is this the day that the Easter bunny rolled away the stone? Uh, so we kind wow. of, we kind <laughs> of, uh, when Eddie Izzard style, when I was a kid, um, and our traditions felt very, uh, interconnected, um, and although we would kind of laugh and make jokes, like, I don't know. I think there's a place for, for both within, but that could be my context where a lot of people kind of come from, come from different traditions. So I think as long as there's some ritual uh, and ritual usually involves community, uh, then I think it's a pretty, it's a, it's a decent space to be in. I like that. I like that. That's so well basically said. you're, you're saying it's, it's, it's um, early Christianity's, um, um, co-opting, taking over, moving in on, pushing things out of the way, uh, coming back to bite us. And, and, a little uh, bit. I mean, I can't quite Kermit the Frog this right now, but... Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I like that. But just, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, 
you know, they, they argued the Christian fathers, I'll say probably not the mothers argued over a lot when Easter should be right. right. Uh, and they needed yeah. a whole council <laughs> to decide when it was, uh, cause there was clearly some disagreement. Um, but I imagine that the, some of the voices at the table were, well, we have, there were festivals that were already in existence, um, and that they wanted to kind of honor and not, uh, try to separate so, so far from them. And, and I mean, springtime is a, I think is a time of the celebration of new life. And if you're, if you are gardeners, I don't know if you are or not. Uh, <laughs> it feels, even if you can keep one plant alive, as I said on Sunday, you're a gardener. Uh, and you know, that's the time when we kind of can celebrate the new life that's cropping up all over the world. So I can't, I can't keep fake plants alive. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think, I think Brian, I think it's, I think it's perfect in many ways, uh, especially if you, um, come from a perspective that what what we call pagan now was really again um, ancient humanity's um, way of understanding God. It's 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 just a sim another way of understanding and forming a relationship with with the unknown, with all that is. So yeah. so so I think it makes perfect sense that that elements of it um, still exist today. Um, I think where we drop the ball is that we we don't do a good job of explaining that um, because you know yeah. our, the kid, kids don't know kids don't know why why we have a bunny laying eggs when this is about Jesus like you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense to anybody but when <laughs> you know the history and when you know about about all the all the connections you know it does make sense why these symbols are here so. Um, so yeah, yeah, and as you said, uh, pagan—you know—pagan is a very broad term, and that we're covering over a lot of details just by using that term. There were um, a lot of different, basically, non-Christian religious communities, uh, and you know, we use the word pagan today often to refer to godless, someone who's godless, or someone who is. Um, unrepentant, or you know, which is just a total misappropriation pretty, of the pretty word. Sure, pretty sure they used that word to mean the same thing back then, too. <laughs> okay, well, maybe Put so. That out there. <laughs> maybe so, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you trying to uh, uh, broaden that out a little bit and and maybe redeem it a little. Uh, so you know, I, mean, I think I, there was a time I thought I, thought I saved it, redeemed totally it. saved it. <laughs> So there was a time where this sort of bothered me as I learned about, you know, pagan traditions that have been incorporated into Christmas and Easter. And I think it bothered me because I had this sort of naive assumption that these were sort of purely Christian, that these were ours and they were God ordained and they were based on scripture. And then as I began to poke around and read some of the history and so forth, it's like, oh, wait, <laughs> We got a lot of this stuff from elsewhere and initially it made me nervous. Now it, I don't, doesn't bother me at all, but, um, wait, what was, wait, what was ordained in scripture? What? Well, I had this, I, I had this assumption that we were celebrating, um, uh, scriptural events oh, the, and okay, holidays. The events. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah no, I, obviously I, everything that's come around with Easter is post scriptural because right there wasn't time to, Develop I, all thought, these I thought you were referring to like like 
like the the symbols and the things no 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 the holidays because it was like where in the bible is the christmas tree like what so <laughs> but i got you i got no you. and so you know i just i was naive i guess i didn't really ever think about the christmas tree just thought that's what we do but of course right. it's about jesus birthday oh wait uh, there were other religions that brought trees and lit them up and they weren't Christian. And should I be nervous about that? Right. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, I think interestingly though, uh, not, not to jump too far ahead, but I think that is a great segue to that question about, about the educational piece, the educational attainment, because I think, I think when we know these things, because we've, research them or we learn them you know whether it's high school college wherever or you know we just had the good sense to google the stuff and you know stop asking why do why do easter bunnies sure. eggs right. um, you know and we find out these things then it, it kind of does like you say it may cause a little bit of um friction at first in your own belief system but but then it makes sense why they're there. And if you are open and you dig a little bit deeper, uh, as Emma was saying, then you realize, you know what, this is, this is some symbology that represents something bigger than Christianity, which, you know, I often remind people, you know, that's good because God is bigger than Christianity. So let's, let's look into some stuff that and begins to embrace it all. Yeah. Yeah. So Emma, let me ask you, how do you feel about, um, you know, well, you already talked about beer, beer hunts, uh, instead of <laughs> Easter egg hunts. How do you feel about, you know, uh, just adopting the, the bunny imagery and, and doing Easter egg hunts? And is that stuff that we can do in the name of our celebration of the resurrection? Or is it like, well, we just culturally are okay with it because it's harmless and it's fun and we'll do that also, but it's distinct from our observance of Resurrection Day. Do you see what I'm not framing this very well, but... Yeah, I think I think I hear you. And I, I'm an artist and I, I think that one of the best things we can also do as, as pastors and as religious leaders is actually teach people to be better interpreters of images. Uh, we um, are pretty good at in helping people to interpret text um, but at least in the Protestant tradition, we tended to kind of say Ooh, images besides kind of the big, the big ones we can think about. And so um, I like to give people the tools, uh, you know, museum studies actually was one of my studies in seminary, strangely. And uh, when you curate a museum, it's actually kind of similar to how do you curate worship, but we use the idea of visual thinking strategies, uh, which uh, kind of are focused on three three different questions. Let's see if I can remember them. Uh, <laughs> and the first one is, what do you see? The second one is, what makes you say that? And then if you're in a museum, but in other ways, you could say kind of, well, what would you call this image? Or how would you interpret this um, image? And so I I feel like that's something that I've tried to, um, to teach my communities is that we can be better kind of visual archaeologists yeah. um, and that we're kind of called to that. Uh, we're a very visual culture. We see 3,000 plus images a day, and yet I feel that people feel very ill-equipped to do that. I used to feel a little more ill-equipped, um, but if we kind of are willing to have conversations around, well, what doesn't what does an egg mean? Like reading the history of that, that goes back, you know, 4,000 years. Um, and you know what what do those other symbols mean? The empty tomb, the the cross, the yeah 
you know, because I mean, if we really dig back in those images, like, I don't know about you, but the cross image, like, there's a reason Christians didn't use that for a number of years. Because <laughs> that symbol was, like, meant something different, right? Like, right. we, I'm yep. going to be kind of yeah. radical here for a second and say, like, you know, in our country, like, we don't wear um, electric chairs uh, or on necklaces around our necks, you know, that... Uh, you know, the trademark cross. Trademark, trademark, trademark. <laughs> like, I mean, you could if you really wanted to, but I personally don't. So, you know, the right. cross, even as a symbol, I think needs to be mined um, and kind of dug into. And so do these images of, you know, of eggs and, and rabbits. So, um, so I think they're great. Oper- this is, gosh, wow. My mom, who's a second grade teacher, is really coming through and <laughs> right now <laughs> that, you know, like every, every kind of, new thing or or kind of old ritual has an opportunity to be interpreted um in a new way so i think it's i think uh christianity runs a great risk when it says we should throw everything that isn't <laughs> you know yes. inherent toward our tradition out because we wouldn't have very much left uh, <laughs> yeah. and so i like to keep most you know keep what we can um and also be better kind of um you know better interpreters of it because that's the only way that I think new images and new symbols come to be. And I actually think that's a really cool part of, of, uh, of the faith that people across history have said, you know, this, this is worth kind of showcasing or artists have said, this is worth interpreting. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, you know, I did my best to confuse my children by, you know, having them come to church and then you know we later did it well they got chocolate rabbits from their grandmother and then we did an easter egg hunt in the yard with our pet rabbit <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we just try to cover all the bases but I, I really like your notion of uh digging into imagery and symbol and saying what is what is some of the depth here what does this bring up for you and also what are some of the historical roots and and is there something of value in that that can still teach us or is it something we want to hold in a different way because we've taken the time? So I think that's great. I give credit so, to the, to the muse- the museum folks uh, yeah. for visual thinking strategies. Uh, but I think, I yeah. think we can use it and we can be like theological thinking strategies. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and by, the way, exactly. by the way, you going to throw out any three questions that you wanted to when you were going over that museum thing. You don't know. <laughs> We don't know. You could have made that stuff up right there. We like, that's very like, yeah. Mm-hmm, I know. Don't you realize how much people trust preachers sometimes? When you're like, wow, I could have made that. <laughs> like, that sounds good. That sounds right. That, that must be right. right. Wow. That's why it must be right. Is you know, I didn't make that up because it sounds good. <laughs> I'm googling that when we're done. <laughs> so speaking of uh, thinking theologically. Uh, Easter Sunday, or as some prefer, Resurrection Sunday, which sounds less pagan, uh, of course, celebrates uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I have a quote from Thomas Oden here, which says, Christian fundamentalism focuses on the historicity of the resurrection, in parentheses, attempting to prove that it happened. Christian orthodoxy focuses on the meaning of the resurrection, Parentheses, attempting to see all of life through the resurrection of the Messiah. Wondering uh, if either or both of those resonate w- resonate with either of you or neither. Uh, yeah, what well, do you guys think? I, I 
hopefully hopefully none of my uh, family of birth is watching this otherwise I'll really <laughs> ruffle I'll really upset some people but no I do not I do not believe that the resurrection literally happened um and for and and being in being in unity um it technically we we it doesn't matter because our our view of the or interpreting the bible is strictly metaphysical so the literalism doesn't really matter for us. It's what um, I guess it's more the uh, the meaning that we can pull from it, and the resurrection is basically symbolizing our own awakening to our divine nature. Um, so, so there was a time I did literally believe that happened. I don't literally believe it happened. Speaking uh, of pagan, myself, yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> or I'm teasing. <laughs> Um, so, so, so yeah, um, I mean, because, because I think because of what we know about how the gospels were written, um, basically anything in their suspect in many ways, mm. so I'll just, but I'll just leave that there and mm. let you know. We should have had you go last. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So what do you, what do you, what do you hear when you hear this quote, uh, Emma and, um, do you do you resonate with it? Uh, what do you think? Um, I recently listened to a interview with Mary Oliver, and mm. she oh, was wow. asked about her religious upbringing, and she said she was very involved in the church. Maybe you heard this one, and uh, but she said that what ultimately kind of separated her out is that she couldn't quite. Uh, I think she said get on board with the resurrection, kind of the literalness of the resurrection, and so they wouldn't confirm her. Uh, mm. and you know, this was years ago and I often think, gosh, if only she was a Methodist, we would have been like, great. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so that kind of separated her. And so I think I, I kind of think about her experience and something that I've heard in other times that some people, yeah, worry if I don't, you know, a hundred percent believe this, like, can I be part of the Christian, um, Christian faith? And so, yeah. um, so I definitely worry about <laughs> how literal uh, we make that that sound because it was a story that was really important to the people of that time. Um, and I think, if I'm being honest, I think our stories would be kind of different if it was happening now. Mm. Uh, and so, um, you know, in the same way that Jesus kind of needed to be a man, uh, <laughs> Jesus, uh, I think, you know, needed to experience kind of that full um, aspect of life and death. And, uh, and at that time, um, you know, I guess God chose a really unlikely way, uh, to describe that. Um, so I think that there is like so much room within Christianity and maybe it's because I don't know if I come, because I come from a Methodist church or not, but that we have to create space for that, um, within that, that resurrection is kind of a spectrum if I'm being totally honest here, um, and that people across yeah. the centuries have always believed it across a spectrum. There were always, yes. there's always been, there's always been literalists and there's always been kind of the Gnostics, right? The people who are like, yeah, <laughs> and, but what's next? Um, and so, right. um, so I think that there, there has to be kind of space um, for, for the in-between. And I remember actually one of the hardest pub theology conversations I ever facilitated was on uh, the resurrection a couple years ago. And I was like, Oh yeah, we're going to go into it and talk about it metaphorically. And we had a strict literalist there and I was like taken for a loop. <laughs> and that is surprising to me as a pastor that I was like, wow, I wasn't really prepared um, for that. And so 
So when you say taken for a loop, was that that the person, uh, the way they that they were making you wonder about your own position or that they were there to defend their dogmatic view and, and you know, came at it that way? What, what was um, the loop? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I think that there was, they had such a strong feeling that if you didn't believe it was literal, then you didn't count as a Christian. Yes, I see. And yep. I guess I hadn't really... <laughs> this is going to sound so Northwesty. Like I had never encountered someone like that before in all, you know, in, in my years. And so yeah. it reminded me that that view is there and it's valid. And if we're going to have a real conversation about it, that we have to honor um, right. both the extreme literalism um, and kind of the, the nuances. And I, re I recall uh, at one point asking the question, you know, if they found Jesus's body, you know, would that imp would that impact your faith? And I had some people be like, "How how dare you how ask that question?" You? But to me, I'm like, my faith isn't isn't only staked on that. And so, yeah, yeah. I kind of remembered that in that moment of that person yes. kind of holding the line that I actually afterwards spoke with them. You know, was like, I'm really grateful that you were were able to come in and bring this this viewpoint um, because it's definitely something that I continue uh, continue to encounter. But it helps me kind of when I talk about it to, to talk about the viewpoint as a, as a spectrum. Yeah. Good, good. I'd say in my town, about seven out of 10 people believe in a literal historic resurrection. So that viewpoint is pretty common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to make for some good numbers at your church, man. <laughs> well, yeah. Until they come to an Easter service. <laughs> But you know, it's really, it's, you know, um, you know, Emma, my hat's off to you because I think it's really hard for us in to, to try to balance the not making someone wrong um, about their, their belief. But at the same time, you know, it's, it, it's hard when, when for some people, there's only one option, like if, mm -hmm. if they're not open to any other possibility, then then basically they're walking away with the idea that you're that, that we're making them wrong by just yeah. entertaining uh some other option and <clears throat> unfortunately a lot of this kind of still boils down to an to to that attitude of right or wrong like like it, you know the, the the literal slash fundamentalism is like this is this is what happened um and and again though it's always the you know the 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 response that I make to maybe some people in my own family is, well, if you're gonna take that as literal that that happened, that you're going to believe this piece because it's in the Bible, then you got to take the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. And if you take in the whole Bible, then you're backing yourself into a really tough spot because then you know many of my family back in Barbados, they are women who are entrepreneurs, they own businesses, they're educated, they're independent, they're not beholden to anyone else. And I'm like, if you take in the whole Bible, then be careful because <laughs> God's coming to get you, <laughs> you know, just just for that. So so you really, so it, it, it is, it's a tough place to be in to, to really stake you know like pitch that tent of i believe this happened because it was written that way um and then you know make make you know fudge or make leeway for some other things that seem archaic 
or seem more um, culturally contextual to to ancient Israelites. And then, you know, so it's 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 a weird place to be in. So, you know, I always say to people, if, if you're going to take one thing, take it all. But if you're not going to take it all, then be open to all the other yes. possibilities. Because if you're willing to make some leeway on one part of it, why won't you make leeway on another part as well? Right, right. And that's why, like, let's give some credit to the Gospel of Mark here, right? If we only had the Gospel mm -hmm. of Mark, we don't even really technically <laughs> have the resurrection. Exactly, and so. Yeah. Um, and, yep. and so we kind of need it, we need it all. And it showed, you know, to me the, you know, and of course, yes, they believe some stuff was added later. Uh, but I think the idea that, yeah, certain communities have found different meaning, um, yeah. in different parts of the story shouldn't negate those parts of the story, but rather lift them up right. as, um, as important. And so, um, I like so I always kind of think about the Gospel of Mark, right? Like we, yeah. we we kept that in there, and and it it is yeah. kind of missing some pieces if you if we want to. Well, I think the go I I always think of the Gospel of Mark as like a nice blog post of its time, you know. because <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know when you're writing a blog post, you go like, okay, I'm not gonna go there because that's gonna open up a whole other thing, and I gotta kind of keep this succinct. So let's just leave that out for right now, and. <laughs> stick with the points I'm trying to make here. <laughs> I think I think that I think the guy who wrote the guy or woman, whoever wrote it was Mark, a guy, come on. <laughs> well, hey, I don't make assumptions. But the author of Mark like was very clear about you know what? There's some things here that if I write, we open in a whole can of worms that we're not gonna be able to really close or justify. So I'm I'm just gonna just gonna leave that out. And mm. others were like, no, we we don't just write our, our thing. Yeah, Mark, the blog post of its time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting when people make statements like, "If you don't believe X, or if you're not this, you're not really one of us, so you're not really a Christian." And I always wonder about that. And you know, some people are more willing to make space and say, "Hey, we need room for uh, multiple views." and and I appreciate that you said, Emma, even on the resurrection throughout the history of the church, there's been multiple lenses through which people have viewed this event and many others uh, in scripture. And some people just have this notion that, no, everyone always believed exactly like I do, and I'm right. And I, I don't know, it, it always feels healthier to me if we can have space for people, uh, as you said, on the spectrum, people in different places in terms of thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, thinking about what is scripture, um, all of those things that are a part of the faith experience. I think well, that's because that's because fuller with diversity. That's because uncertainty is scary. <laughs> yeah. want certainty. Not and I'm yep. not just talking religion here. I'm just talking like in general. Yep. When <sighs> when we feel a sense of certainty about things, we kind of feel safe. Um and when we don't, then it's then then it's like shaky foundation. What 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 do I believe? But you know the the uncertainty is is the journey. You know, I tell people, yeah, sure, read the Bible, but but God's in the God's between the lines. They're not not the actual mm. words on the page. So it's the uncertainty. I think that um, that in in many ways triggers doubt, which in many ways forces you to ask deeper questions and go deeper and which will, which is where you will, where you'll find God, not on the surface and in, in the depth. Absolutely. And I think we have to be 
you know, we have to be careful about literalism. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure I know you guys have talked about uh, that before. But yeah, you know, just a couple chapters before in almost all of the Gospels, you know, before the resurrection, like Jesus is saying, eat my body <laughs> in terms yeah. of communion. And people yeah. aren't going, oh, my gosh, we're going to become cannibals of Jesus. Yeah. And so, Man. did you, you know, take a bath, Jesus, before we're going to do this? <laughs> right, he washed our feet, but did he wash his feet? Um, and so, I always like because for me, it's like communion is such a beautiful, like it's a beautiful metaphor, right? And so, um, I have to believe that the early Christians also saw that there was a metaphorical aspect um, of of the resurrection. And the further away you get from a historical event, of course, there's going to be. Um, some challenges around, around kind of how do you interpret that? But I think that there, there, I have to believe that there's space <laughs> and that God allowed for space for, um, for many different types of belief um, mm, yeah. about this. And that if, if Christianity is living into kind of, I think what it's called to be, which is to evolve and to respond to the context that it's in um, that, you know, we're going to keep getting new understandings of the resurrection. And I actually think that's really exciting uh, and really awesome mm -hmm. because I, I believe in that resurrection is a practice, not an event. Yes. Um, in the words of, nice. in the words of Wendell Berry uh, in his manifesto for the mad liberation, uh, mad farmers liberation. Mad front, farmers liberation. Right. And, and, but that it's a, it's a practice. It's something that we do um, just like communion or just like baptism. Um, and so we don't always talk about it that way, but I think, like, I definitely have seen resurrection happen in my life and in the lives of others. And I think it is a practice. Um, and I think that it's going to keep, I imagine that we're going to keep evolving uh, our beliefs about them. And I think that's, I think that's how God, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of left some of that mystery uh, for us in, in, in that way. And, 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 you know, when you, talked about going back before the resurrection and the crucifixion and Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Can we just acknowledge for a moment how awkward it might have been like in the middle of Passover, except for all of a sudden he gets up and starts disrobing and, and puts towel on like that must have been weird. I don't think that's a common Passover practice that somebody gets up and gets naked. Yeah, it's it's quite a, a part we kind of pass over, literally. Don't oh, we? <laughs> there you go. We're like, this is hard. Let's just skip it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well done. Well done. So uh, I may jump ahead here to our number five quote, which is related to talking about resurrection and Holy Week stuff, since we're kind of on that. Uh, and this quote says, a basic point of Christian orthodoxy is that Jesus accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished through his cross and resurrection. All that's left for us to do as Christians today is to bear witness to what has already been achieved. Yeah, I got problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a mouthful. <laughs> he did it all, man. What do you, what, what's the problem? Because the problem Im implies that it that it was a static event, as opposed to something that's continually un unfolding in through and as us. And so, you know, I don't believe it began and ended with Jesus. I think I think Jesus demonstrated, you know, 
hey, if you truly live fully in an as God, this is what it could look like, you know, and now you guys, the rest of you go do it. And, and let's see how this continues to, to look and, and, and evolve. Uh, you know, again, no accident that I believe this is what he was implying when he said greater things you will, you will do in my name as in like, like the story's not done here with me, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he said it is finished. As in, we're done here. <laughs> Could yeah, I know that <laughs> meant, but hey. <laughs> uh, so I think you know the way I understood this growing up, and this is big in Reformed theology. And I grew up in a Reformed tradition, and it's that Jesus accomplished uh, what is necessary for salvation. So. You know, his death on the cross satisfied God's wrath, substituted for my place of punishment that I deserved, and the resurrection was sort of God's affirmation of all of that, that and the first fruits of, of what's going to happen to everybody one day. But really, the bottom line was that Jesus did do it all, and we just start to tell people about it, but not do yeah, much else. I got, I got a problem with that, too. Why do I deserve it? What did I do? I didn't do anything. I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to the original sin doctrine. I subscribe to the made in the image and likeness of God. I subscribe. Well, to that, that is part of your sinfulness. I hate to tell I, you. I, no, <laughs> I, I'm teasing. Oh my goodness. Whatever. I subscribe. I know you are. I subscribe to the original blessing doctrine. There we go. So there's, there's nothing for me to be, to be saved from. So, so that's where I have issues uh with that yeah. in, in you know we we refer in unity to jesus not as the great exception but the great example like when you fully turn yourself over to god to the divine of who you are this is what it could look like you yeah. know and and yeah. and he had his human moments in that in that week you know my favorite my favorite holy week post of all time is that whole what would when people ask what would Jesus do? Remember flipping tables and chasing people with whips is is a viable option, you know. So so he he had his human moments too. So and this whole thing about satisfying God's God's wrath and all that, like why is God so pissed off? Seriously, listen, like, you know, God is all there is, the fullness of the universe. What's God angry about? Well, look, it's so it was a rough few million years, you know. It just kind of builds. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's like we're fortunate to live in a time where we understand that there's so many ways to I would say hope that to understand the cross. Yes. You know, yes. substitutionary atonement is not just a fancy word that I taught my pub theology group last week. Um, you know, but rather like, hey, we need to know where, you know, original sin, original blessing, where that, you know, where that stuff uh comes from. And yeah, we did a little hating on uh Augustine. I must admit, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's allowed like, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, we can be mad at him retroactively, but like there has to be space for uh, multiple interpretations. Um, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. To, to bear witness, like bearing witness is gonna, is gonna come out in multiple, I think, amazing, beautiful, different, different ways. And some of those is going to be reinterpretations of what resurrection means now. Um, I like, yeah, I like, that's right. You and know, maybe, like yeah, we, translating into it into action today. Yeah. And I, I hope that there's space for, you know, kind of for everybody, uh, at that table and that, and then again, that resurrection isn't, it keeps happening. 
Like, we have to believe that. And, you know, yeah. Jesus' resurrection isn't the only resurrection in the Bible, right? Like, <laughs> Lazarus is in there. There's other people that are in there. In some Gospels, right, it says so many people were resurrected on that day. And so it's like, what do we do with, <laughs> right. what do we do with those resurrections? Um, do they make Jesus's less important or do they rather kind of help us understand, you know, that, that there was a, there was kind of a first century understanding that like, we don't know as, as Christians now, and we can try, <laughs> but I think, you know, we're going to have to do some in between the line reading, which, um, you know, is, you is going to lead to exciting stuff. I like to think, but. <laughs> and do you think the people who were resurrected were ultimately like pissed off about the whole thing? I mean, they died once. They're probably experiencing the bliss of afterlife. And now now they got to go through death again. Like, they got pulled back from the yeah. light. You know? And, yeah, I don't, and got, I don't know. They got pulled back into this, like, you know, like, first, you know, let's take Lazarus, for example. I mean, come on. First century, first century Israel could not have been a pretty place. I mean, he's in the bliss of the afterlife. And now he's got to come back to like you know dirt and unleavened bread and now <laughs> and 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 i don't think he would have been happy i'm pretty oh. sure he wasn't thrilled about this whole like being resurrected thing and and if and if like just for example he had this like irrational anxiety and fear around death now he's got to go through it again like that's that yeah. whole and how have you ever met somebody who had an, a kind of a death, like near death experience? Near death experience. I'm not yeah. trying to like drag that in there, but I've, you know, I've met people who were like, they felt totally ready. And what, this is just what I've, they've told me, right. Is like, they got there and they were ready and God's like, Nope, not yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what, I mean, like, I haven't had that. I can't experience, you know, but this. That's is not exactly, good. that's not exactly good news. You know, that they were like, wait, I thought we were there, you know, yeah. and even, I mean, yeah. even, even Jesus, you know, people think, oh yeah, he was so ready to go, but there's even moments in his testimony and story where he's like, I'm not sure if I'm ready yet, right? right? <laughs> yes. Like, he does a little bit of that, like, are you sure? Like, can this not, exactly. not be part of my story? Um, and I, I think that kind of humanness around the story uh, is, is really beautiful and also has a lot to say that. Yeah, like there's just a lot we don't know about about what happens when you when you die. So I don't want to stake any of my uh, any of my money. Not that I have any on, on kind of that. Have you read a so so you know? I mean, there are a lot of anecdotal you know um, stories and books out there about the afterlife experience. Um, I've, I've read a few of them because um, I, for one was and probably on some level still am the biggest like afterlife skeptic there is um but but um because of stuff i've read and and personal experiences um not that i've had a near-death experience but um i can i can attest to the fact that i'm pretty certain that i encountered my my late wife in experiences in like waking experiences um you know, I to steal a line from Harry Potter. Is it real or is this all in my head? Well, you know, what's the difference? Basically the same thing. But so you see, I'm still a bit of a, still a bit of a skeptic around the whole thing. Um, yeah. But but from all the experiences that that I've read that people have encountered and from the feeling I've gotten from my own um, experience and encounter, it's like everybody speaks about bliss on the other side. 
um, what you know the details may be different and hazy across stories, and and the details sometimes in many cases seem to reflect what the person's belief growing up was, whether they still subscribe to that belief or not. But there seems to be a lot of you know this idea of of bliss and hmm. happiness is not a strong enough word, but. Um, the most recent book I read was by uh, Dr. Eben Alexander, and if you guys read that one, I forget what it was called, but but he was a neurosurgeon who was like pure atheist, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, whole, yeah, 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 brain coma thing. Anyways, um, so so in in many ways, I think that that to be to be pulled back from that to to the you know the earthly experience of concern and worry and all that is just probably not a fun way to go. But at the same point in time, I think um, the the thoughts around death and what happens afterwards kind of really preoccupy um, a really like irrational amount of our thinking and concern for some of us, you know, as we go through life. And unfortunately, I think it 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 weighs too heavy on an influence on how we choose to believe and understand God as well. Um, so, just throwing that up there. Yeah, I, I mean, one of my favorite interpretations of that has been Kurt Vonnegut's God Bless You, Dr. Kevorkian, <laughs> which is a short book um, where he, in this book, right, he asked Dr. Kevorkian to kill him and then bring him back to life so he can experience the afterlife and then coming mm-hmm. back. Well, if that's not resurrection, I guess, <laughs> I'm not sure what it is, but, exactly. wow. you know, he, he figures out in the afterlife that you get to decide how old you are. And so he chooses uh, a dapper 32 um, and he goes in and out if you haven't read this. And so, um, but this like young little snot nosed kids following him around, you know, and he's trying to see kind of famous people and different people in his life. And then at the very uh, end, finally he turns to this kid who's been flying around and he's like, you know, who, like, what are you doing? Like, leave me alone, man. I'm trying to explore the afterlife and come back to life. Right. And this kid turns out to be his dad. So his dad chose to be six and he's 32. And so I love this. That story kind of drastically changed my view because it's like, well, if we all have our own interpretations of afterlife or if we all have our own interpretations of resurrection, I mean, what happens when they come into conflict or into, you know, just connectionality with each other? Like what happens? And so, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, like if you believe in a resurrection, like, you know, the, the John story, right? They don't recognize Jesus. Like, yeah. Like, well, it's resurrection. I think I had a, a pastor friend said resurrection is not resuscitation. That's right. Um, and so, yeah. So when we're resurrected, do we look like this is just this is just like thinking out loud? But like, do we look like exactly what we looked like when we died? Do we get to choose? Like, kind of, you know, Kurt Vonnegut's story kind of interprets. Um, and, and, you know, in the case of Jesus, like, why didn't people recognize him at first? And so yeah. I think he, he was clean, you know, <laughs> he's clean. He's not dirty, you know, but I, I don't know. I think that story like kind of drastically altered my view of, of, of that. And actually kind of helped me not worry about it as much. Exactly. Who knew, who knew Kurt Vonnegut would make me less anxious yeah. <laughs> about, about the future, but, but he did. <laughs> I think it was like, uh, you know, when if you've ever watched the TV show Survivor, you watch these characters over the whole season and they get grungy and dirty and they don't shave and their hair gets askew. Nobody's wearing makeup or clean clothes. Right. 
And then they come back for the finale and it's like a month or two later yeah. and everybody's lost weight and cut their like, hair and shaven and, and you don't recognize them. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Exactly. Who is that? <laughs> exactly. Well, I, uh, I loved uh, your word, Emma, that resurrection is a practice. Yes. I think that was great. And I have a poem here that I'd like to read if I could. Um, that's uh, called After He Is Risen. It says, after the hosannas have all been shouted, after anguished moments in the garden have been spent, after take this bread and eat, take this wine and drink, after betrayal with a kiss, after hands washed and 39 lashes, after seven words and he breathed his last, after crucifixion and death, after laying the body in the tomb, after rolling away the stone, after proclamations of he is risen, now let us rise. Now let us awaken to a new dawn, a new day. Let us remake the world with the hope of Easter. Let us set the prisoners free, house the homeless, educate the children, offer gainful work to all who are willing and able, protect soil, water, air, and food, end all forms of state-sanctioned violence. Now may we awaken and stay woke. Now may we rise and stay risen. Amen. <laughs> word, my brother, word. This has been a fun show, Emma and Ogan. Thanks for joining us. Thank and uh, yeah, any, any final thoughts or something you're going to take with you into tomorrow's conversation at your pub theology group? Ooh. Um, I mean, a lot. Uh I, I don't know. I think I think our interpretations of of the resurrection need to be as robust as our interpretations of the cross and of his birth are. And so uh, maybe it's time to devote a little, you know, history <laughs> history time to some of the people who, you know, put great risk um, on their lives and on their ministry to say maybe there's a new way to think about that. And that's hard for me to understand for my cushy privileged place here in this century um you know where where i as a woman get to speak right <laughs> and so uh um, so i i think that i'm trying to this is helping me to think about what are some of the voices that need to be included what voices are we missing and how can we keep our theology around resurrection just as robust and interesting and mine it just as much as we do um those other those other aspects um of how we define who we are uh as as followers of jesus so i'm really appreciative of this opportunity well said well said it's been great to have you on the show and thank you friends for i don't, I don't get my last word wait i don't get last nope. word no you don't i'm cutting you right <laughs> out. women speak last <laughs> cutting you right out all right last word last chance flip the tables it's not like Ooh, that. holy monday every day flip the table. <laughs> Well done. Well Thank done. You. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I get no love on this show. I knew, I knew that was going to come back to get no me. No love. <laughs> I knew it. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in and listening to Pub Theology Live. You can uh, connect with us online. Uh, please help spread the word on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth. And remember, you can listen to our show, the podcast, anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. And if you'd like to find a pub theology conversation happening in your town, check out the map at pubtheology.com and you can find what happening, maybe even in Portland, maybe <laughs> Seattle, 
maybe right. somewhere near you. And if there's not one, you can find some tools to start your own. Thank you again to our sponsors, Craft Beer Cellar, who you'll find at craftbeercellar.com and Wink at trywinkwithac.com slash ptlive. And don't forget to leave us a voicemail at 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830 to win free gear from Casual Priest. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. All right, so real, real, real quick, a little number four because I got to go watch a basketball game. Oh wow! Yeah, give us number four. Come on, playoffs. So, Pew survey of educational attainment among U.S. religious groups show that the top five completing a college degree are number one, Hindu, seventy-seven percent; two, Unitarian Universalist, sixty-seven percent; three, Jewish, fifty-nine percent, tied with Anglican, also at fifty-nine percent. Uh, five Episcopal, 56%, and not far behind are uh, PC USA. What is PC? Is that what is Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church USA. Okay. Buddhists, uh, UCC, and atheists. Some with the lowest educational attainment, all under 20% of college degree, are Southern Baptists, Assemblies of God, Jehovah's Witness, American Baptist, Church of God. And the average for all U.S. adults is 27%. The question is, how does educational attainment affect religious experience and commitment? So uh, I, I, I think the, you know, the joke that I was making about explains a lot of things is um, really not meant to offend anyone. But I think it, you, you know, you look at this and I think it's kind of safe to say that the the folks who are more like the literalists and the not open to the spectrum of belief are looking like they're falling under the, the lower percentages of people with college degrees. And I think that's, you know, education opens your eyes, expands your horizons. And interestingly enough, my first massive crisis of faith came in college because yeah. Yeah. of education. You know, and if anyone had told me at that time I'd eventually become a minister, I'd have like punched him in the face and said, No, that's never going to happen. But when you can almost break a belief or at least put a deep crack in it, that's when I think you're going to start to really experience God fuller. So, and, and education has a lot to do with that. That's all. Yeah, I. I mean, the Pew surveys, whenever I bring them to pub theology, people are always like, well, what's the breakdown of the people who, um, who took them? So that would be my one of the things is like, I mean, Hinduism, oh, help me here, right? Like makes up a very small percentage of, of the U.S. population, correct? It's going to be smaller, certainly, than many right. of these So other... like, you yeah. know, people who attaining it are going to increase that number. And like Unitarian Universalists are a very, are a pretty small percentage. And I don't mean that to, I love you, you use, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I went to uh, the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. So they're, <laughs> those are nice. my people. Um, nice. But that, you know, the percentages, of course, are going to look different based on um, kind of if you 
you know, there's less people uh, to rise. But also, like, I mean, Hinduism, Unitarianism, Judaism, Anglicanism, right? Like, they strongly value uh, education as much as I as I've understood it. Yeah, um, because ed- education does not threaten belief. It doesn't threaten. Right. It rather enhance, you know, it enhances exactly. uh, it where, um, you know, I, I serve a church in, in East Portland and we share our building with four other churches, two of which are seventh day Adventists, yeah. uh, you know? And so I know that they're kind of they're they wrestle and <laughs> they wrestle with scripture in a very different way um, right. than I do. And yep. um, yeah, and I kind of wonder about, yeah, they're, they're kind of pushed towards higher, higher education um, in, a, in a lot of ways, because in some ways they, they do kind of like to some of those groups that I see that are falling in, excuse me, some of the lower ones are ones that worry about if you leave your group, right. that the influence will be negative. Um, and so the yep. groups I think that are higher, you know, tend to represent groups where they are kind of open to, um, open to that. But I also, yeah, don't, you know, want to admit that a lot of people lose faith in college. And I remember, yeah, being wanting to be a minister in college and be a religion major (laughs) were like very, I mean, this is the Northwest. Like I was, you know, like they sometimes would have me be the representative of Christianity (laughs) in my classes. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa, I'm just a Methodist. (laughs) So, Show title. <laughs> I'm just I'll, a Methodist. Uh, and so, yeah. So I think I don't want to discount that. No. Yeah, and, this number, you know, might shift, right? Depending on what school you go to. If you go to a predominantly Christian school, sure. you know, sometimes that can affect things in not a, yeah, in no, the, yeah, no. not a positive way. I don't mean to sound like that, but <laughs> at no, least no, no, out no, here, that's right. what, right. you know, I went to kind of a historically Methodist college, but I had friends who went to more, conservative Christian colleges kind of thinking that that wouldn't be a big deal. And then they were like, Oh, actually they were kind of finding their upbringing being kind of discounted and that, you know, Methodist, we believe in something, God, we have to give names to everything. Right. But we believe in kind of this quadrilateral that we stole from the English and added a fourth, right. Which is like tradition. Right. Good job. You could join us. Uh, but you know that your experience is, is an imp- that's an important part of ours. And so I, the, some of the people I know who've been challenged in their faith were when they went to schools or studied in the way where they kind of discounted actually experience and that, that um, kind of led them to a place to say, maybe, you know, maybe I don't want to do that. And so we're like, no, 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 that's an important part of the quadrilateral. And so yeah, but I, I realized that not every, every tradition values, you know, personal experience in that way or they overvalue personal experience there we go <laughs> sure sure so do you know where uh methodists fell on this uh pew survey i would love to know that do you know that i do know that uh united methodist church came in at 37 percent, so 10 percent higher than the national average and just underneath agnostic orthodox christian and muslim muslim that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> But but higher than the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, mainline denomination, higher than the Presbyterian Church in America, higher than Mormonism and Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So very interesting. Yeah, I would say a lot of people kind of choose to uh, disassociate 
in co- that's what that was my experience yeah. leading kind of the Methodist group in college. That those other people would be like, I grew up that way, but and uh, so they yes. wouldn't even list it. They would not list yes. it. And I find um, that and I find that folks who are who who are more uh, you know college degree or higher, who are more higher educated, that are still um, really heavily involved in their in their denomination or religion, you know, present company included. I could be wrong, but it's like, in my experience, we're almost in it for not necessarily a different reason, but we're definitely approaching it from a different place. Like, you know, growing, growing up before my education, it was like blind faith. And, mm-hmm. and now it's more yeah. like informed faith and mm-hmm. choice. And, you, you know, the, 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 the desire to question as opposed the, as opposed to the hesitancy to question you know, questioning as a as a path to dig deeper and welcoming the questioning as opposed to questioning, you know, as a fear of, oh my God, is this gonna cause me so much doubt I stop believing? Um, so it's a it's a it's a whole shift. And you didn't include kind of the secret subcategory, which is called Buddhist Methodist, nice. <laughs> which nice. uh, George Lucas would fall under, or I there just uh, nice. I just learned that the kind of the person who created Donnie Darko, the movie, one of my favorite uh, oh my movies. God, that makes so much sense. Uh, he grew up Methodist, and it's, you know, you, I just watched that movie the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, so I think a lot of, and maybe this is just, I'm, I know I'm not alone here in the Northwest in this way, but I think that a lot of people kind of find those, that hybridness between traditions, and there's not really a place on the form. <laughs> for that yeah a lot of people like they honor their tradition that they come from but they're not going to check that box in the same way that they might not say well you know i don't go to a buddhist temple but i you know participate in buddhist meditation practices right you know and so i think that there's like i I mean and i'm you know all day like i'm a millennial (laughs) so you know i know a lot of people who kind of like come to me with that question of well can i kind of be a little bit of both well, that's everybody. And so, that's everybody. and I'm like, everybody's there, right? Yeah. Like, and so, how can we do a good job of kind of helping people to realize that, or excuse me, do a good job, but helping people to realize that inclusivity within, yeah, within our traditions. So, that's everybody. I'm waiting for the multiple check boxes, right? <laughs> that's everybody in unity. That's what I say with people in unity. Ah, yes, your Christians right. who want to be Buddhist, be just not ready to give up God yet. Yeah, and interestingly, they did have a category on this Pew survey of people who who claimed, in quotes, nothing in particular. Hmm. And what do you think their percentage of college degree was? Ooh. Give me a guess. Ooh, I, don't, I don't know. That's, that's a great... I don't, I don't want to... 9% had a college degree? I said 9 or 19. 9 or 19. <laughs> Ogan? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with 22 Ooh, ding, ding, ding. 24%. Ooh, all right. I thought that would be higher, honestly, because I thought that would be people who've kind of, as you said, Emma, grew up in a tradition. Now they're kind of not really sure. They've wrestled with stuff in college, not really sure where they land. So I guess I'm nothing in particular, but I would assume that included a college degree. That depends on if the survey was anonymous or not. Maybe so. And nothing in particular is has its own right has its own connotations <laughs> yeah. and, and agnostic was much higher that was 42 yes. percent. 
Yeah, so. I would say, I would imagine, yeah, more people maybe would fit into that. Yeah, who would fit into yep. that? Very interesting. Yeah, I think anyway, that nothing in particular, I, you know, that's, uh, it's hard for me to say these things and not sound judgy, but, you know, that's just lazy. You're just lazy, people. Like, like Hey, now. Wait, who's stuff? lazy? You're, you're, well, let me, let me clear, clean that up. You're either lazy <laughs> or you're in the midst of the struggle. Okay. You're, those you're, are two very different things. Those are yes. two very, yes. those are two very hey, different things. Come on now. Wow. And if you're in the midst <laughs> of the struggle, okay, I I'll give you a pass. But I think there's some. You know who the, you know who those twenty four percent are. Those are the Christmas Easter crowd. That's who that is. <laughs> you are just. Wow. Also, pup theology people, live right? listeners. So <laughs> I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I'm just saying that's probably who they are. The Christmas Easter crowd. Commit, people. Commit. Awesome. I don't know. Maybe they have brunch to go to on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, come on. Or a beer. I'm, I'm just secretly, a beer, uh, I'm secretly envious That's of it. <laughs> I know. Come on. It comes from our place. Of, man, I want to be having brunch on Sunday. <laughs> I want to be having brunch. <laughs> All right. Hey, Emma, it was awesome. Awesome having you. So glad we got Thank you. Thank you. Please come visit Portland so you can have well, some tasty. Well, I, I will next time Seriously. I come visit. Uh, yeah, come visit. have some tasty beers. We are. This is a special place. <laughs> we need a live show in a Portland brewery. I think. Oh my gosh! Yes, we totally do. And Not, I would say if there's another religion in Portland, it's it's beer. Yes. Episode <laughs> episode one hundred because we 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 had this idea for episode fifty and that didn't happen. I fell through. Episode 100, we'll go to Portland, we'll visit Tina, we'll visit Emma, we'll, do, right. a live, we'll do a live thing. I know some breweries who would host that for us. So. We should do a, a theology <laughs> crawl. Oh, yes. Ah. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, friends, I'm going to call it a night. All right, good night, everybody. All right, All right. good night. Bye. Bye.